Thanks, Pauline. Um, we're going to be looking at those passages today. Uh, if you're new with us this morning, I'm Kurt. I'm one of the pastors of Wild Street and St. Matt's. It's a pleasure to have you along this morning uh, to look at part three of our series on sex. Uh, Rod's done the first two weeks. Actually, it's love, sex and marriages, and it's not just all about sex, although I'm majoring on sex today. Uh, so we're going to look at this passage. Let me pray, and then we'll get into it. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to meet with your people this morning uh, over Facebook, to gather together around what you have to say about this topic. Father, please give us wisdom, give us insight, give us humility as we consider these things. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I remember when I was 16 years old and I was driving with my dad. Uh, He was actually driving me on on the way to my girlfriend's house. Uh, it was quite a serious girlfriend. We'd been going out for a while. Um, now, me, me and my dad had talked about sex in the past. Um, at, but the first time I remember him doing that, or probably the last time I remember him doing it before that moment, was when he gave me that book, Where Did I Come From? I think it was in year four. Uh, maybe you've read it as well. Um, he knew I had a girlfriend, and he wanted to make sure uh, that I was going to be safe. And so he said to me, KP, that's what he called me, KP, Kurt Peters, if you're sleeping with your girlfriend make sure you don't get her pregnant. Make sure you don't get her pregnant. Like a good dad, he wanted me to have safe sex. But is that it? Uh, Well, no. My dad could have talked to me about other things, like make sure there's consent, uh, make sure you use protection against STIs and STDs. But again, is that it? Is that all there is to safe sex? Well, this morning we're going to hear what God, the ultimate dad, in fact, the one who designed sex, makes, we're going to hear what he says, makes safe sex. And so we're going to do that by exploring five lies about safe sex and God's response to them. And they're kind of going to build on what God has, on what Rod has said over the last two weeks. I always get those two mixed up, God and Rod. The, the passage we read is from a letter written um, by uh, Paul, after Jesus has lived, died, and rose. Paul is a follower of Jesus, and he established this church in Corinth, and he's writing this letter to them, a church that's particularly messy. Uh, they have particularly messy attitudes around, the, uh, around this idea of sexual morality. There's a bunch of lies they're believing, a bunch of lies that were believed 2,000 years ago, but they're actually a bunch of lies that believe just as much today. And so the first lie we're going to look at is the lie of sexual freedom. Sexual freedom. Have you ever had someone suggest they don't mind Christianity except for the bit where you can't have sex outside of marriage? Uh, They think as long as it's two consenting persons and they use protection, a healthy human needs to have freedom in their sex life. It's it's almost like a right. It's a human right. You need to have freedom in your sex life to have it with whoever you want. In fact, if you, if, if you repress that function with a human being, it's actually detrimental to our health. That Christianity ruins sexual freedom. Well, Paul in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians has just spoken about sexual morality in the church and that it shouldn't be a part of the church. And then he says in verse 12, where we started reading today, from verse, chapter 6, verse 12, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Now, this might surprise you because you think Christian faith 
is all about law keeping, isn't it? It's about saying you're a Christian by adhering to a certain rules that God put in the Bible, like the Ten Commandments and other ones that you don't really know about, but you think you're supposed to follow. Paul himself here, as the person who writes, was a law keeper right up until Jesus. He was the one who was devoted as a Jew to God's laws. And so it's very shocking what he says here in chapter 6, verse 12. He says, all things are lawful for me. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he doesn't mean that Christians should live however they want. That because you are forgiven, it doesn't matter what you do. You can do anything you want with your body. It just doesn't matter. Now, what he means here is that when he put his trust in Jesus, that the law was no longer the shaping influence on his life that it was before. That for him as a Jew, his whole life was devoted to adhering his life to this law. Paul is saying here that as Jesus came to fulfill that law, that now he lives not according to the law, but to one the law uh, uh, like pointed forward to, to Jesus. Jesus was the one who shaped his life. He's, that's his model that shaped his living. See, most people think the reason Christians don't have sex uh, uh, outside of marriage is because it's breaking one of God's laws. That's as simple as that. God's got these rules and you break them and, and, and you're a naughty person if you do it. But Paul, he says, everything is lawful. So how do Christians know how to live? Well, he says here, but not everything is beneficial or, or not anything, everything is helpful. Now notice that. Paul starts with this presumption that the way God calls us to live is not just right because God says it's right, but it's actually for our benefit. It's helpful to us. Paul's saying that sex outside marriage is not good for you. Well, how is that the case? Well, he then repeats, All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. See, the sad truth is that people think sex outside marriage is true freedom. Paul says it's actually the other way around. It becomes slavery. Well, how is that? In two ways, I'll give you. Firstly, when we have sex outside marriage, we are being enslaved to our sexual desire, to our, to our libido, to our sex drive. We, we, our life becomes fulfilling our physiological, neurological, psychological need for sex, or what we perceive to be a need. Our hormones drive us to do these things that are actually harmful to our person and the people we engage with. So we're enslaved to their physical desires. But secondly, we also become enslaved to not just sex itself, but the things that we can get from sex. See, instead of sex being an expression of giving, of giving love, of giving service, of giving honour, of giving pleasure to another, Sex becomes a means of getting, a tool to get, getting pleasure for ourselves, getting a sense of being powerful because we have this person giving their body for us. Sex becomes a tool to get affirmation. If this person wants to sleep with me, they must love me. And that slavery we have where we use these things for ourselves might seem okay for a while. You might have pleasure, you might feel powerful, you might feel loved, but then someone breaks up with you and you're torn apart. Your whole world is turned upside down. 
You pressure a person into having sex and they are scarred for life because you wanted to feel powerful. You go from one person to another, desperate to feel affirmed and loved by someone. Slavery to your sex drive and the things it gives you is not good for you. Sexual freedom is a lie. Do you ever find yourself thinking, if only I wasn't a Christian, I could do so much. I could, I could have sex with whoever I wanted. I would be sexually free. That desire to have sex outside marriage is not freedom. Real freedom is the choice, the freedom to choose to live God's way, what, God, what honors God, to have sex in a way that's truly good for you. Lie one, sexual freedom. Lie two, sex is just doing what is natural. Uh, people will say and think, our bodies physiologically are made for sex. I mean, that's what hormones are for. Uh, 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 boys, men, reach their sexual peak at 17. It's, it's only natural for them to do what their body wants to do. Uh, we, we've been going out for the last two months now. We've been boyfriend and girlfriend the last two months now. It's only natural that we start sleeping together. Look at Paul's response, verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. What Paul's doing here is he's quoting a line from the culture, the Corinthian culture, which says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. That is, just as food is made for the stomach and the stomach for food, that is, people have this bodily need for food, and so it's just natural to eat. So likewise, God gave us this sex drive, this sex desire, didn't he? And so it's only natural for us to want to have, to have sex, to express it. To this, Paul says, God will destroy them both. That is, those desires are the concerns of the body in this world, on earth. But they will come to an end. And so Paul says, our body is not made for that. Our body is made for so much more. Look, keep reading verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Paul says the body is not made for sexual morality. Even though it has these physiological uh, drives within us to, to have sex, it's not made for sexual morality. The body is made first and foremost to honor Jesus, to surrender our bodies to what he wants us to do. The most natural thing to do with your body is to use it to honor him. You see, Christians are not against looking after and caring for our bodies. We're not into just repressing desires within us just for the sake of us to make us feel spiritual or holy. But sex outside marriage is not looking after your body. It, just, it plainly isn't. Sexual morality is not natural. What's natural is to honour Jesus with your body. See, on one level... We know this is obvious. When my wife was pregnant, uh, I remember at Bible college, she would sit on the bed and she'd say to me, I really want to go down to the service station and have some of those really seedy hot dogs. You know those hot dogs that are on the rolls that just sit there all day? There's a pregnant woman saying this. She really wanted that. 
Now, I didn't say to her, of course, go for it, honey. You have this desire for seedy hot dogs, go for it. It's got to be good for you. It's only natural. We can't think just because our bodies have a desire for something that it suddenly makes it right. Your bodies are not made for sexual morality. Your bodies are made to honour Jesus. Lie number three. It's just a physical thing. It's just a physical thing. This is the lie behind casual sex or friends with benefits or uh, just the one night stand with someone you don't really know. Sex is just a physical thing. It, it doesn't have to be so serious. It doesn't have to be bound up in relationship. It's just a physical thing. Listen to Paul's response in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them a mem- the members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. When you become a Christian, the reality is you put your trust in Jesus. You are spiritually united to Jesus. You are united to him. You become part of his body. And that, Paul says, is all good until you try to unite yourself with someone else. He's talking here particularly about a prostitute. But anyone to whom you haven't had that one flesh commitment with, if you try to bond yourself to them, you're violating yourself and your relationship with Jesus. See, in the Bible, that sex is more than just a physical thing. It's a, it's a deeply relational thing. It's a, it's in a sense, sex is a commitment, a recommitment ceremony to say, I am one with you, those promises you made when you first got married. So Paul is saying, if a Christian commits sexual morality because you are bonded to Jesus, you are bonding, you're bringing Jesus into that encounter as well. You're taking your body, which is a part of Jesus' spiritual body, and abusing it. As much as people and TV want to promote sex as just a physical thing, the reality, reality is that people every day are becoming one flesh with a whole bunch of people. And they're wondering why they're walking around feeling so damaged. Life three, it's just a physical three thing. Life four, it's not hurting anyone. It's not hurting anyone. You definitely would have heard this. We're two consenting adults. No one is being hurt by us having sex. What's the deal? Verse 18, Paul says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. A number of years ago, God gave me the opportunity to sit down and have a, a, a bunch of conversations with a person with same-sex attraction. Um, this person was kind enough to let me into their world so that I could see up close and personal and, and kind of get a sense for the struggle and the desires that they had. See, this person had decided it was too hard to fight against that same-sex desire and so they were sexually active with their partner. And one of the justifications for this was that their sexual relationship didn't hurt anyone. Their sexual relationship didn't hurt anyone. If two consenting adults are in a committed relationship, whether heterosexual or homosexual, 
if they are caring for each other and serving each other, if they appear to be doing no harm, then why is God against it? Why is God against it? It's a good question, isn't it? As she asked me that question, why is God against it? My, only resp- my response in that moment was, in her sense, I don't know. I don't know particularly how it's harming her. But I said to her, I do know this, that God's word says it is harming you. It is harming you. Paul says here, every other sin is committed outside the body, but the person who sins sexually sins against their own body. They damage themselves. They hurt themselves. They do evil to themselves. So we ha- and so that makes me come back to that same question. What harm? What harm? That's the question she was asking me. What harm? Does it mean that if you commit sexual immorality, you have a higher chance of mental health issues? Does it mean you're going to have more depression or anxiety? Does it mean your relationships in the future, if you do that, are going to be less fulfilling? Is Paul, is, is Paul speaking about the possibility of having sexually transmitted disease or some sort of physical health issues as a consequence of it? Does it mean you kind of function, you know, your, your sense of self and your relationships get distorted? It could. It could mean that. And certainly some Christians like to do research to, suggest, to, to, to kind of bring a connection between sex outside of the way God designed it and some of those things, mental health issues and all those sorts of things. Now the problem I find with that research, that kind of line of thinking, is that although there might be a bunch of people who are hurt through sex outside of marriage, there are a bunch of people who, have see, who for, for all intensive purposes, see no harmful effects from their sex outside marriage. I mean, that was the case for my same-sex attracted friend. That's what she shared with me. She said that she couldn't see the harm. But as I worked through this verse with them, I realized that some things harm us even when we don't, they don't appear to. Although you might not be able to recognize the harm, God says you're being harmed. Now this, for me personally, this is a fact I realized when I went on my honeymoonable places. Uh, before I got saved, when I was 20 years old, I had two serious girlfriends and I had uh, sexual relationships with both of them. And so by the time I married Kelly, I thought, you know, I got saved. It was years and years later. I thought those relationships back then would not be an issue. But as Kelly and I started our sexual relationship on our honeymoon, it kind of blew up in my face. It brought up all these emotional issues, these hang-ups, these, these struggles that I had from four years earlier. I struggled with anxiety. And I realized on my honeymoon I was damaged. Although it wasn't seen for years and years and years, it was there. Friends, sex outside marriage might not seem like it hurts anyone at the time. But trust you, it will damage you in some way. So let me talk to you now. If you have been sexually immoral, maybe you've looked at or are still looking at pornography. 
Maybe the pornography you looked at seemed innocent at first, but it became more and more perverse as you needed more harder forms, hardcore forms of pornography to to feel sexually gratified. Maybe you had casual sex with a work friend. Maybe you had it with someone you go to university with. Maybe it was a flatmate. Maybe you hooked up with someone at a party. Maybe you're secretly pursuing an active heterosexual or same-sex relationship. Maybe years ago you cheated on your spouse. Or sadly, maybe you feel broken not because you chose to be sexually immoral, but because someone coerced you or forced you or pressured you into having sex. And what you're hearing from me is that because of this sexual immorality in your life, that you are damaged. And so what, you, what your response to that is that instinctive response is to say, well, what's the use? It's just to give up. And that's lie number five. I'm already broken, so what does it matter? I'm already broken, so what does it matter? Have a look with me in verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Sexual immorality will damage you. But Paul here affirms right at the end here, he says, but do you realize that even though you are damaged, God lives inside you now. The God of the universe has united himself with you through his spirit. Jesus paid the price of his own death on the cross for your sexual immorality. And now Jesus is united himself with you. So that now, because you have God's spirit, you don't own yourself anymore, but God owns you. You belong to him. So that whatever you do in your body would be for him. Years ago, I sat down with a young man who, who admitted to a battle with porn that was, that was very disturbing and very dark. But although he hated it, he hated feeling bad about the fact that he'd done it even more. And so what did he do? He gave in. He walked away from Jesus saying, I'm already broken. What does it matter? He believed the lie. He believed the lie. Let me be clear. There is nothing you have done. No amount of sexual morality. No sexual damage you have done to yourself or other people have done to you. That prevents God being in you and with you. That prevents you belonging to him. That although there might be consequences that carry on from your sexual sin, although you might continue to struggle and fall back, do not believe the lie there is no hope. There is always hope of change. There is always hope of healing. Because if you confess Jesus as your Lord, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Maybe this morning you are someone who feels sexually broken. 
you think that because you have sinned in a certain way that you could... Well, there's two people, isn't there? You've sinned in a certain way and you think God could never forgive you and therefore you don't follow Jesus. For that person, I want to say to you very, very clearly, Jesus came for you. You look at the stories of Jesus' life on earth who did he hang around? He, hang, he hung around the sexually broken. Who were the people who came to him for healing? The broken. And so if this morning you are someone who hasn't put their trust in Jesus and yet throughout your life you have this sexual brokenness that you realize is there, then Jesus is the one who has the capacity to change your life and heal you, to forgive your sin, to restore you and make you whole. So please come to him. But if you are someone who has confessed Christ, and yet you have this sexual morality in the past, let me encourage you, he heals. He heals. It's not going to be an overnight thing. But he heals day by day, day by day. He, he conforms you and makes you more like Jesus and helps you shed the damage caused by sexual morality. Friends, safe sex is more than not getting pregnant it's more than consent and wearing protection. God, the one who designs it, says outside of marriage relationship, sex is destructive. Don't believe the lies of sexual freedom, that sex is just natural, it's just physical, and that it harms no one. Don't believe the lie that you are damaged and can never grow. Fight to believe the reality that pursuing sexual purity is freedom. It's the most natural thing to do with your body and that God lives in you right now to bring glory to him. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that in our brokenness, you are not a God who is distant from us. We thank you that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ to come into the world to pay the price for the way we've taken your good gift and broken it. We thank you that now, as your people, that your spirit has come to live in us, both restoring us day by day and helping us to heal of the damage that has happened to us. Father, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your spirit. Father, I pray for those people this morning who have not put their trust in you, that this morning they would say for the first time, Jesus, thank you that you died to save me. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.